Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that you gather us together as your people. Uh, we pray this day in particular that you would uh, bring your word uh, home to our hearts and minds in such a way that you increase our hunger for you, our longing for you. Uh, please uh, help us to turn aside from other things that we might long for uh, and to fill our hearts with the great truths of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so uh, when I was growing up, pretty much every Christmas, uh, my family would drive from Bendigo to Melbourne to my nan's house for Christmas lunch. And my nan, uh, she's uh, died a few, number of years ago now, but she uh, was an amazing cook. Uh, she was English. Uh, she loved the, the, the big spread, uh, the English kind of spread on Christmas lunch, roast lamb, roast beef, roast turkey. Uh, there's probably another roast there. There was uh, always a leg of ham and lots and lots of, of roast vegetables. And all that followed up uh, by way too many desserts that none of us ever had any room for. Uh, there was always that concern in the lead up to Christmas. You know how the family Christmases work. Uh, there's the big concern, like, are we going to have enough food? Like this year, this could be the year out of the last 30 years that we might not have enough food. Uh, but uh, no, sure enough, every year there was enough food. Uh, but you know, every year I arrived at this family Christmas and uh, I knew all of that food was coming out. Magnificent feast. Uh, but guess what I did? Every year I sat there and I snacked away on the lollies and chips and chocolates and nuts that were scattered around the house. Right? That's what I did every year. I snacked away on all this stuff. And in fact, I had so many snacks that by the time all that other food came out, I wasn't even really hungry. It was sort of like filled up on the snack food. Now, now maybe that, that's a, a kind of silly story, but I think that's what lots of us are like spiritually, including me. Right? In Christ, God offers us a relationship with him. Right? He, he is the, the bread of life, the spring of living water, the, the only one who will satisfy the, the deepest needs of our soul. God offers us that, offers us that uh, but instead of feasting on knowing him in relationship with him, uh, we just snack away on things like Netflix, on Facebook, on, on comfort food, like I'm a shocker for that, on sport, on uh, exercise, maybe physical fitness, on lust, on, on pornography. We snack away on these things. Uh, we snack away on having the approval of others, on having power over other people, on being uh, someone of real significance, on being someone that, that people notice that is a somebody. Right? We snack away on all these things. We, we, we kind of, over time, feed our souls on these things. And then one day we wake up and we wonder why we're not hungry for God. We've filled our lives up with the spiritual equivalent of snack food. So today we're going to be exploring a spiritual practice, this kind of discipline, that I think might help us with this. It might increase our hunger for God. It's fasting. You can see from the outline there in the Connect card that Bryce mentioned that we're going to explore this under four Ps. The presumption of fasting, the purpose, the practice, and the great prize of fasting. Uh, so the first thing we really have to be clear on, I think, uh, is that Jesus presumes that his disciples will fast. Right? He presumes that. At the start of verse 16, he says, when you fast. Right? It's when, not if. Right? So if you've been following through this chapter, Matthew chapter 6, uh, just as Jesus presumed that his disciples would be giving to the poor, uh, he presumed that they'd be praying, uh, here he presumes that they'll be fasting. 
And I don't know about you, but I personally find that convicting. Because I became a Christian, uh, I'm brought up in a Christian family, but kind of made a real commitment to be a Christian uh, 15, 20 years ago. And I can only remember uh, two or three times where I fasted in that time. It's just not on my radar at all. And I suspect that I'm not alone. I don't know what your conversations were before. But I think most of us get the importance of giving to the poor, even if we might like do it to different degrees. Like we get, yeah, yeah, sure, that's what the Christian should do. We get that you should spend time in prayer. But fasting, like, like what's with that? Surely fasting is just some Old Testament thing, right, that, that, that Christ got rid of, isn't it? And isn't it true that Jesus' disciples didn't even fast? Why should we fast? And didn't the Catholic Church get a bit kind of sidetracked with all their fast days during the Middle Ages? And the, the reformers around the Reformation, you know, Luther and so on, they, they kind of sorted all that out. So we're like, we don't have to do that anymore. Or we've got all these questions about fasting. But the truth is you could answer yes to every single one of those questions and you'd still be left with Jesus' clear teaching here. Which is that he presumes that at some stage, in some circumstances, uh, his disciples will fast. They'll give to the poor, they'll pray, and they'll fast. So, so what's, what's the purpose of fasting? Uh, most of us know, I think, that fasting is about abstaining from food. I might be a short period of time, longer period of time, uh, even just overnight, right? That's why we call the first meal of our day breakfast. Right, because we're breaking our overnight fast. Right, so all of us are very godly. You fast at least once every 24 hours. Most of us, anyway. Some people have a midnight snack or kind of, you know. But all right, so, so like fasting, that's what it is. It's, it's abstaining from food. Uh, but in the Bible, fasting is not just kind of the, the main weight loss strategy. Right, fasting, it's more than just going without food. It's linked with a few different purposes. Uh, the first is that it's almost always linked with the idea of humbling yourself before God. So in Psalm 35, verse 13, for, for example, uh, that says, Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. Or, or Isaiah 58, right? Pretty famous passage on fasting. Verse 3 says, Why have we fasted and yet you have not seen it? Notice that, that language of seen, that comes up in our passage. Uh, why have we humbled ourselves, fasting, humbled ourselves, uh, and you haven't noticed? Right, so, so fasting is like a, a physical expression of humility before God. And that makes sense, right? If you're not eating, it makes you very conscious of your limitations, right? God's the one who's self-sustaining and you're the one that needs sustenance from the outside. You need food. So it's quite humbling to fast. Uh, second, fasting's uh, a physical expression of repentance before God. So in Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, uh, Nehemiah assembles God's people, Israel, and while they're fasting, they confess their sins to one another, a sign of their repentance. Or in uh, Jonah, chapter 3, the people of Nineveh hear Jonah's preaching, and, and they repent, and the king of Nineveh proclaims a fast for the whole city. Right, so, so fasting is, once again, a physical sign of humble repentance before God. Humility, repentance. Third, it's a sign, a physical sign, of a longing for God's guidance and blessing. I was talking to someone uh, just in that conversation and they were saying that the, the times where they have fasted uh, was times where they've been really seeking God's guidance or his blessing on a particular kind of set of plans or something in a particular situation. Uh, and that, incidentally, that's why prayer and fasting always go together. 
Are you never just fasting by itself? Prayer and fasting go together. You're asking for God's guidance, God's blessing. Right? If, if you're fasting but you're not praying, you really are just trying to lose weight. right? Prayer and fasting always go together, just as they do here in Matthew 6. So in 2 Chronicles 20, uh, for example, Jehoshaphat, uh, he sees the armies of Moab and Ammon, they're approaching, uh, and he's kind of freaked out. And so he says, and so we read, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Right, so so fasting is a physical sign of just kind of how desperate someone is to receive God's guidance in a particular situation. Right, they're more desperate to know what God wants them to do than they are to eat food. Oh, we see in the New Testament too, right? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, right before Jesus starts his, his public ministry, and you might remember the Spirit leads him into the wilderness and he's tested by the devil after 40 days and nights of fasting. Acts 13, the church in Antioch are trying to work out their mission plans for the future. They're seeking God's guidance. And we read this from verse 1, the church in Antioch, in the church in Antioch rather, uh, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Cordonisure, Lucius, uh, Manaean and Saul. Uh, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul uh, for the work to which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed some more, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So, so in the Bible, fasting is often this physical, a physical sign of someone's longing for God's guidance and blessing in some particular situation. So there's, and, and there's quite a few purposes of fasting, more that I haven't mentioned here, uh, but the, the common theme that ties together all of them is that fasting expresses a deep longing. It expresses a, a hunger for God, to be humbled before God, to, to repent before God, to seek the guidance and blessing of God. It's about longing, right? So for Christians, I, I think there's one passage that, that really drives home this central purpose of fasting. If you've got a Bible, uh, you, you could flick over to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, incidentally, if you don't have a Bible, there's some stacks on the back table. You, feel free to grab one. But Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 14 and 15. Matthew 9, 14 and 15. Uh, Matthew says... Uh, then John's disciples came and asked him, uh, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Uh, Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he's still with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. So you, so you get the idea, when, when Jesus is with his disciples, they don't fast. Why? Because it's a time of joy. It's a time to celebrate. Why, why fast? Uh, but, the, but when Jesus is taken from them, right, which I think refers to when he dies and is raised and ascends into heaven, right, when he's taken from them, his disciples will fast. Right? Why? Why will they fast then? Because they miss him. They long for him like a bridegroom longs for their bride, for like a bride would long for their bridegroom who's been taken away. Right? Imagine that. You've just kind of got together, you've just got married, and all of a sudden you, you, your groom's taken away from you. You miss them, you, you long for them. It's a time of mourning. And so Jesus' disciples long for him to come back so they can be with him, so they can enjoy him, uh, so uh, they can experience all the blessings of his kingdom. 
Because they know that, that right now that, that they've just got a taste of those blessings. I like when you go to a wedding banquet and you get one of those little appetizers when you go in. Uh, it's been ages since you've had lunch. They, they were really vague about the time when the, the meal was going to be served. You know, the, the kind of, uh, so you get the appetizer and, and, and you're like, you enjoy it, it's good, but you're like, man, when's the main meal coming out? Like, like I'm, I'm totally ready for the feast, for the banquet, right? Uh, so that's what, that's what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God now. You, you get tastes of the kingdom of God, uh, but you're longing for the whole meal to come. That's what it was like for Jesus' disciples then, and it's what it's like for us now. We who are a part of Jesus' bride, his church. Right now, as we sit here today, where we've tasted some of the wonderful blessings of Jesus' kingdom. But we know what it's like to be forgiven of our sins, to be cleansed, to be welcomed into God's family. A wonderful appetizer of the kingdom. We know what it's like to be filled with God's spirit and be assured of his love for us. We've tasted some wonderful blessings and so much more, right? But they're just appetizers, little, little entrees. And we long for the full banquet, the banquet that will only come when Jesus returns and brings in the fullness of his kingdom, the new heavens and new earth where he'll wipe away every tear, where sin will be done away with forever, where every injustice will be put right. That's what we long for, where his kingdom finally comes on earth as it is in heaven, as we just heard in the prayer last week. So we long for Jesus to come back. We long for him to come back even more than we long for food. That's the context for fasting. So given Jesus, this kind of presumption of fasting and the purpose of fasting, how exactly should we go about fasting? How do we practice it? And now notice, uh, Jesus could have given us lots of tips about the physical dangers of fasting. For for example, uh, if you're pregnant, if you're breastfeeding, if you're a diabetic or or you're sick in some way, uh, it's probably wise to avoid fasting, or at least be very careful about it. There might be some physical dangers, but but Jesus doesn't say anything about those dangers. He knows that the spiritual dangers of fasting are much greater than any physical danger. So just as with giving to the poor and with prayer, uh, Jesus is not so much concerned with the outward act of fasting, uh, he's concerned with what's going on in our hearts, on the inside, and particularly uh, that we, would, uh, we wouldn't fast like the hypocrites, right? the, the Pharisees and, and, and other Jewish leaders. So have a look in verse 16. Uh, Jesus says, when you fast, we've dealt with that, uh, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Right? These hypocrites are just desperate to be noticed. They want to be seen. So whenever they fast, they make sure that they look very somber. You know, they walk around with this kind of mournful look on their face. And they're just kind of hoping that someone will say, oh, are you okay? You know, so, oh, yes, sorry, you know, I'm fasting. You know, I'm, in the, I'm in the middle of the fast, up to hour 36. You know, like, I mean, that's, that's what they're hoping for. Like they, they, they want to look very holy, uh, very, very mournful, very somber, so that they're noticed. They're desperate to be noticed. They're hungry to be noticed. In fact, Jesus says they're so hungry that they disfigure their faces. And we, which literally means that they, they make their faces almost invisible. That's what the word disfigure means there. They're, their faces are almost unrecognisable. Even more so than me without glasses, right? If you've seen me before, like, oh, unrecognisable, right? So, so when they're fasting, the way they do this uh, is they basically totally uh, neglect personal hygiene, 
like that, that's what they do. Uh, so the rule is, uh, when you're fasting, no bath, no shaving, no, no washing of any kind. Right, if we can get the, the picture, have we got the, uh, the picture of the guy in sackcloth? Uh, in case you're wondering, uh, you can probably join the dots, sackcloth. Uh, if you're wearing sackcloth, it's like a sack made into a cloth. So maybe you don't need the picture, but is there a picture of that? Or did we not get that queued up? That's okay. You get, oh, there it is. Yeah. So there's a guy. He's in sackcloth. So, so they, they wouldn't just wear their normal clothes, right? They, they'd kind of deck themselves out in, in sackcloth. Uh, so, yep, a very uh, kind of holy outfit. And then uh, they would uh, smear their face with ashes, right? So, uh, yep, they, they, their face would be covered in ashes. Uh, and so that everyone would be able to look at them and say, oh, that person's fasting. Aren't they godly? Aren't they holy? They're so devoted to God. I could, if we pop that down, uh, take that off. Thanks, guys. Right, that these people were seen by others, they were admired and applauded by others. And that feels just wonderful, doesn't it? It's wonderful to have someone else admire you because of how devoted or holy or disciplined you are. Right, if, you're, if you're a Christian, but even in some other area of your life, like... To have someone admire your devotion or your discipline or your commitment, that that feels really good. It feeds that, that deep hunger in us to be noticed and admired by others. And after all, what could be more godly than to be admired for your fasting, right? Admired for your giving to the poor, admired for your prayer, admired for your fasting. What could be more godly than that? Jesus doesn't see it like that. In fact, as far as he's concerned, this hunger to be seen by others is a bit like a poison that over time will infect every part of your life, as it has with these Jewish leaders. Right? So in Mark chapter 12, if you want to flick over to Mark chapter 12, uh, you can. Mark chapter 12 uh, from verse 38. Uh, Jesus warns his disciples about these leaders. Uh, he says... Uh, uh, Mark 12, verse 38. Uh, these religious leaders like to walk around in their flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. And for a show, they make their lengthy prayers. Right, so they, you get the sense. These Jewish leaders uh, have an insatiable hunger for the admiration of others. They're desperate to be noticed. And we are just not that different. But we too have our flowing robes. So maybe not literally, like I don't tend to wear flowing robes. But we do dress to be noticed by others, don't we? We dress to be admired, to impress others. And man, it feels good when someone else notices what we look like. We too can strut around in our marketplace kind of posing at that party or posturing at that function or, or, or taking selfies right at that gig or match or events. Right? The whole aim is to be seen by others, to be noticed. We're desperate for that. We, we hunger for those places of honour. We want to be on that table with those people or we want to be in that in-group. We want to share in, on that platform with that particular person. We're tempted to, to lengthen our prayers, aren't we? To make them a massive show. Some other people will say, well done. That's an impressive prayer. But all of us have this, this deep hunger for the admiration, approval, acclaim, uh, the, the applause of other people. And it's like a poison that will infect every, every area of your life. 
That's the bottom line. Everything you do in life, if you go down that way, will be geared towards getting the great prize of being seen by other people. That's the great reward that you're after. And you're on this constant treadmill because what happens? You do something wonderful, you get the approval of others, but then you've got to do something else, don't you? It only lasts a moment. The acclaim of others, the admiration of others, it just keeps slipping through your hands. So in verse 16, look what Jesus says. He says, if that's why you fast, right? If you fast to be noticed by other people, to be admired by them, if that's the reward you long for, Jesus says, that's what you'll get. Right? This is the great danger of living in this way. It's very successful. That's why it's dangerous. It actually works. But you long to be seen by others, you pursue being seen by others, and you are seen by others. You receive your reward in full but nothing more. Uh, Of course, I don't know about you, but there's a question in this passage. The question is, uh, how is what these religious leaders are doing hypocrisy? How is it hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is usually about hiding something, concealing something. And and these religious leaders are very open about what they're doing, aren't they? They're doing everything they can to make sure that everyone knows they're fasting. How's that hypocrisy? That's very open, right? In fact, surely it's more hypocritical uh, to fast in a way, as Jesus is about to suggest, that aims to hide what you're doing. Right? That's hypocrisy, isn't it? Like, uh, How is it that these religious leaders are hypocrites? Well, it's because the heart that, that motivates fasting is supposed to be a heart for God, right? A longing for God, a hunger for God, a, a deep desire that God would be glorified, right? And what's the problem here? These religious leaders on the outside give the impression that that's what they're on about. But on the inside, they're really desperate for their own glory. That's what they long for. That's what they hunger for. So if they were going to be really transparent... They'd wear kind of like a massive sandwich board around their neck saying, yes, I'm fasting, but the bottom line reward that I'm after is your admiration and approval and acclaim. That would would be transparent. But that's not what they do. So they're hypocrites. And Jesus says, "You've you've got to avoid that way of fasting, right? How do we avoid it? Well, Jesus gives us an alternative way of fasting, verses 17 and 18. He says, but when you fast, that's his disciples... Uh, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it won't be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father uh, who is unseen. Right, so the emphasis is uh, fast in secret for, for the eyes of, for an audience of one, right? They're the eyes of your Father in heaven alone. Uh, of course, as with prayer last week, I don't think Jesus is saying that, that all your fasting must be in complete privacy or, or it'll be absolutely ungodly. Right? I don't think that's what he's saying. First, uh, because that would make fasting almost impossible, wouldn't it? Like if you're married or you live in a share house or you just sometimes eat with someone else, at some point someone's going to find out you're fasting, aren't they? And Jesus is not saying that if someone finds out that that kind of automatically negates your fast, that you're such an ungodly hypocrite. No, also this whole section of Matthew's Gospel from verses 1 to 18 in chapter 6 uh, begins with a warning. Uh, If you have a look uh, back at verse 1, if you've got a Bible, uh, verse 1, Jesus says, uh, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. 
Right, so in this section, Jesus is not primarily concerned with whether you give or pray or fast in, in public or private. That's not his main concern. His main concern is what's motivating you, your purpose in doing those things. Are you doing them in order to be seen by others or in order to be seen by your Father in heaven? In fact, back in chapter 5, Jesus said to his disciples, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Right? So not only is it okay to do good deeds in public, but it's necessary so that other people would see our good deeds and join us in glorifying our Father in heaven. So clearly it's possible to, to do good deeds in, in such a way, to fast in such a way, that even if people see us, they join us in glorifying our Father rather than in glorifying us. That's a hard thing. So if you decide to fast, or if we decide to fast as a church perhaps, uh, we're not destroying the fast if someone finds out. We're only destroying it if we fast to be seen by others, if that's the motivation. Uh, having said all that, Jesus does know how deceptive our hearts are. But he knows that we're always tempted to do things to be seen by others. Uh, so he says, uh, when you fast, do everything you can to not be seen. But that's what that's about. Wash your face, put oil on your head, make it as clear as possible to your own heart that you're fasting to be seen by your father, not by, not by some person. You see, last week we saw that, that our prayers should express our longing for God, for his glory. Right? We, we shouldn't use God like the, the hypocrites, using God to pursue their real longing, which was their glory, being noticed by others. Likewise, our fasting should express our longing for God, our hunger for him and his glory, not our hunger for ourselves and our glory. So what is it that you uh, really long for? What do you, what do you hunger for? Uh, the truth is it's pretty easy to do all the right things, even, even godly things, uh, when other people are watching, isn't it? It's pretty easy to preach and pray and give and read and serve uh, when other people notice you and applaud you and admire you. That's why every Christian is so much more godly on a camp or conference. I don't know if you've noticed that. I've noticed it myself, right? Like I barely ever struggle with temptation on a camp. Like... I mean, apart because you're soaking in God's word and all that kind of thing, but there's always people watching you. If you're not willing to do those things in private when it's just you and God, what does that say about your, what you're really longing for? What does it say about the prize or reward you're hungering for in what you're doing? How much is it about God and how much is it about other people? At the end of verse 18, Jesus says, Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Notice that. like it, It's not wrong to fast for a reward. It's good and, and right to fast with a particular prize in mind. You've just got to sort out which reward you're after. <laughs> Don't fast for the reward of being noticed by some person. Fast for the reward of being noticed by your Father, your Father in heaven, right? knowing that he sees what you're doing and that he'll reward you. Well, how would you know if your Father notices your fasting? How would you know that? How does he reward you? Well, I think it's what we spoke about last week, back in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 6. 
It's the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Those verses I said last week, they express our deep longings, our hungers as children of God, praying to our Father in heaven. And and you'll notice that that these deep longings, that when you become a Christian, as you grow as a Christian, uh, your deepest longings are transformed from being fundamentally self-centered to being fundamentally God-centered. So how does this work in fasting? I think it means that as a child of God, when you fast, uh, you fast to give physical expression to your longing that your Father's name would be hallowed. That's what you long for. You want his name to be cherished and honoured and treasured as holy. You long for that even more than you long for food. That's why you're fasting. You long long for it in your own life, that, that you would be more satisfied with the glory and grace and goodness of your Father, not snacking away on some cheap imitation. And you long for it in the eyes of others, right? To see more and more people glorifying and honouring your Father's name as he deserves. That's one reason you fast. You also fast as a child of God to give physical expression to your longing that your Father's kingdom would come. You long for that in your own life. That more and more you would surrender every part of your life to his rule. Because deep down you've become convinced that that, in surrendering to his rule, that is where you find joy and freedom and life. You long for it in the the lives of others, that more and more people would surrender to Jesus as their king, that they would taste the blessings of his kingdom, that they would join us in longing for the fullness of his kingdom. These are your deep longings as a child of God. Finally, as a child of God, you fast as a physical sign of your longing that your Father's will would be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. You long for his kingdom to come. So that this world would finally become, uh, would become more and more like heaven and that in the end that, the, that, that new heavens and earth would come down and be reunited as we see in Revelation. You see. That's what you long for. And I think Jesus is saying when you fast like that, expressing God-centered, kingdom-minded longings, your Father will reward you. He'll hear your prayers, he'll see your fasting, he'll satisfy your longings. His name will be hallowed, his kingdom will come, his will will be done right here on earth as in heaven. Those are the prayers, those are the longings God wants to satisfy. Those are the prayers your father wants to answer. And of course, let's be honest, even though we long for those things kind of sometimes, uh, usually our hunger for those things is diminished or or perhaps non-existent. And I think it's because most of the time we're like me at my family Christmas. Snacking away on the spiritual equivalent of lollies and chips and chocolates. So we don't long for our Father's glory, for his name to be hallowed, because we're snacking away on the thought of seeing ourselves glorified. That's what we kind of feed our souls with. We want to see our own name up in lights. We we want to make a name for ourselves. And we don't long to see our Father's kingdom come because we're snacking away on the thought of building our own little empire. But our whole life's about my career and my plans and my advancement. That's what we're hungry for. Oh, sure, I'm a bit hungry for God's kingdom to come, but, you know, peripheral. And we don't long to see our Father's will being done because in the end we want to see our will being done. 
Buddy, if only people would respect my rights and my ways and listen to my opinion, my marriage, my family, my church, my workplace, and everything in my life would be much better off if only my will was done. So over time, as we feed our souls with this self-centeredness, as we snack away on it, I think it's not surprising that we're not hungry for God anymore. So for many of us, including me, I just wonder if this spiritual practice of fasting might be useful. I'm not putting down any rules. But in fasting, you are saying, Father, you know my heart, you know what I hunger for, you know I hunger for this and this and this, you know I've been snacking away on on that and that and that. And so to be honest, my hunger for you is gone. And you're saying in this time of fasting, I'm I'm saying no to those snacks, I'm saying even saying no to food because I want to give physical expression to my spiritual hunger for you. I don't want it to be clear that, that I know that you're the only one who can satisfy my deepest spiritual need, which is not to be noticed by some person, but to be noticed by you, my creator, my glorious, my wonderful heavenly father. So I want to kind of fast to, to recalibrate my hungers, my desires, my longings. So I'm not saying you you have to fast, but I am saying that it might be helpful. It might help you to stop snacking onto the spiritual equivalent of lollies and chips and chocolate. It might help you to say no to uh, to those things and say to your Father, I hunger for you and your glory more than I hunger for myself and my glory, more even than than I hunger for food. If you've got questions, please talk to me after. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for every bit of your word. Uh, There are some bits of it that uh, we haven't thought about as much or perhaps we kind of pretend aren't there or haven't worked out how we might apply them. Uh, For many of us, we confess that this part of your word is is one of those such passages. Uh, We pray you would help us to keep thinking on it, reflecting on it, meditating on it. Uh, Please help us to hear it and trust it and obey it and and find uh, the spiritual life and encouragement in it that you want us to have. Uh, Help us, Father, to turn away from those things that we're snacking on uh, that take away our hunger for you. And uh, I pray that you would increase in us as individuals and as a church a deep hunger to see your name hallowed, to see your kingdom come, and to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, For Jesus' glory we pray. Amen.